You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, guys? It's Matt coming to you from the jungle of Costa Rica this morning. First, before our episode with Case Kenny, where I really get thorough, very detailed, ask a lot of difficult questions of this guy because I want to fully understand, I want you to fully understand his thought process, his business model, and why he does exactly what he does so that hopefully you can have actionable takeaways from this that you can apply to your own life. But first, I want to tell you about under three-day experiences. You probably already know about under 30 experiences, our travel company for people ages 21 to 35, where we go everywhere from Iceland to Thailand to Bali, Indonesia, all across Europe, Peru, and Machu Picchu, the Galapagos, et cetera, et cetera, down here to Costa Rica, of course. But what you probably don't know, I'm sure you don't know, because very few people do, about under three-day experiences. For years, we've been asked, please have short trips in the United States or Canada, domestic stuff where we can just go for long weekends and still do what we do abroad, be active, connect with people, share good food, be able to build this community, but in the United States. So if you want to get involved, well, we've got some opportunities coming up for you. We've already done one in Chicago. We had a ski weekend up upstate New York. We are going to have a camping trip down in Georgia. These are where some of our biggest communities for under 30 are right now, but we are going to announce one in Austin. I'm going to be there in November. This is not something that you can get on our website. So if you'd like, go to under30experiences.com. Again, you're not going to see anything there about it, something we kind of do on the down low, but sign up for our newsletter. You will be happy that you did, and I would love to see you kind of summer camp style. I think we're going to do it this November in Austin. It's going to be a long weekend and it's going to be a lot of fun. People are going to be coming in from all over the country. So if you want to get involved with our community, but you're not quite sure if you want to take a big, more expensive international trip, that's the idea. So would love to see you out there. If you have any feedback, places you want to go for under 30, guests that you want to have on this podcast, things that you want to learn about, topics that you care about, that you would like to see more attention given to on this podcast, please let me know on Instagram at MattWilsonTV. And thank you guys again for so many ratings and reviews. We are now on Spotify if you want to listen to the Live Different podcast over there, including, of course, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, where you're probably getting this. Yes, we put the episodes up on YouTube, under30experiences.com slash blog, has so many of the show notes, also syndicating them over to under30co. So I want this stuff to be discovered. Please share it if you get value. That's all for now. Here is Case Kenny. Thanks, guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with Case Kenny. I'm really excited to talk to him about his new podcast, New Mindset, Who Dis, and see what we can draw as far as actionable steps for young people to continue to improve their lives. But what I really like most about Case's work is he goes after 
the weirdos, as he says, the nerds, the misfits, the oddballs, the eccentric people out there, and not so much chasing the latest self-help guru. So I'm really excited about that. And as uh, Pursuit.com says, his uh, daily email platform that sends you an email uh, to become a more badass human, he talks there about really feeling more driven every day when you wake up. So I'm excited just to, to chat with Case, get to know him and, and hear his story, how he got to this point in life and in business. So Case, welcome. Right on, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, of course. So I'd love to just hear your story in your words a little bit better, where you come from and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'll make it simple because I could go down many paths with that. But, you know, I've been a writer and a prolific reader for all my life. And, you know, I, I went to a top university and then I graduated, got started working my nine to five. And, you know, I kind of didn't feel too fulfilled in regards to my creativity. You know, I was doing some cool things, but I didn't feel that that creative element that I was so used to previously. So I just started blogging. Uh, this is like 2010, 2011, when I first graduated and was working at an ad agency in Chicago. And I started blogging basically in the form of pursuit.com. And honestly, it just, things kind of blew up from there. Obviously, that was a long time ago. And there's been a lot of business pivots and different things from an entrepreneurial perspective. But I started this idea of, you know, I am a millennial and I'm looking for content that speaks to me. And then I'm looking at things like Elite Daily and BuzzFeed and, you know, sites like that that are marketed for millennials. And I would read this stuff and I would be like, you know, no disrespect to these people, but this is crap. Like none of this relates to me Two, This is like boilerplate advice. It's very cliche, sure. very the same stuff. I was like, I just don't get it. So I was like, let me just have an outlet creatively. And I started blogging. And then ended up founding a company around it, a media company, partners. You know, it kind of blew up. We had 600 contributors at its largest point. People like Gary Vaynerchuk, Mark Manson, James Altucher, big name bloggers contributing. It uh, got really big and then eventually pivoted from a blog to an email. And, you know, there's some business decisions along the way. But ultimately, the vision was still the same. You know, personal development content that was not cliche. And then from there, you know, I had been writing for so long and started to build a little bit of a name for myself online. People are like, Case, you should really bring this to life with a podcast. And I was like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do that. Took some prodding because I've always been kind of happy to be a behind the scenes kind of guy. But then people, you know, were just asking for it. So I started it. I started New Mindset Who Dis, which was kind of the whole marketing claim of pursuit anyway. It's this idea that, you know, your mindset is so powerful that, you know, once you adjust your mindset, your actions follow, your happiness follows, your fulfillment follows. So I was like, let me just start it. You know, and I started it like four months ago and it kind of got really big, you know, over half a million downloads in a very short amount of time. iTunes Top 100 just good things started happening. And I've just, you know, I've really, really enjoyed the process. It's been really cool to see one, that you can make a living from creating content around something you're passionate about. But two, just to see this, this whole community of people who want real, raw self-development type stuff and aren't satisfied with the usual type cliche gurus, you know, be your best self kind of stuff. I think millennials, Gen Z, these kind of people want it real. They don't want to necessarily always feel good about themselves. They, well, they want to feel good about themselves, but they want it real advice. They don't want, you know, always just to have the pie in the sky that they, you know, they're a little bit cynical. So I kind of follow that path and I'm just kind of real in everything I tried to do. 
And uh, yeah, that's the abbreviated story. That's awesome. Well, we share similar paths. When I graduated from school in 2008, my business partner, Jared O'Toole, and I went on to co-found under30ceo.com, which I'm sure you've come across uh, if you've been in the space for a while. And and we grew that to, I don't know, about a half a million monthly uniques at the time. And we had a very similar model with the media site and reaching out to big name bloggers, contributors, people who wanted to uh, share on a platform. And especially in 2008, that was kind of just the tip of the iceberg with social media and blogging and and all that kind of stuff. And there weren't that many millennials doing it at the time. I mean, millennials weren't that old uh, (laughs) 10 years ago now. So yeah, yeah, it was cool to see your path and how you've pivoted to a podcast as well, really, because we've sold under 30 CEO to, I don't know if you know my friend Daniel DiPiazza and Rich 20-something, but you guys should definitely sit down if you get a chance. Oh, yeah. You know Daniel? I know Daniel. Oh, I just put it together. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah you, you got it. You yeah, got right it. On. And he's okay. he's actually, he's pretty good friends with, what's the dude at Elite Daily's name? Or I mean, he's- Gerard Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's sold it and, and yep. done really well. Uh, but yep. I like that you're looking for maybe a more authentic approach than- just the elite dailies and the buzz feeds because I look at them with a lot of cynicism. I'm like, all right, well, they're just trying to get me to click on something. Don't wouldn't you say? Yeah. And no disrespect to them. I think, I think they do a great job, but it's a different model. Like they need people to click and I get that you have to get them in the door and do stuff like that. So there's no disrespect there. I think to me, and it's not like, wow, case has this, he's, he's totally flipped the script and he's doing such an out there thing. It's really nothing crazy that I'm doing. All I'm doing, I think is just being more vulnerable in creating content. Like there's a difference between telling people what to do and here's the 10 steps to live a happy life. There's a difference between that and saying, Hey, my name is Case. I've lived 30 years. Here's a couple of experiences that happened to me. I do not know the answer for you, but this is what I realized, take it or leave it. And it's like that small marketable vulnerability, I think goes a long way. Like in my podcast, if you look at um, all my reviews, it's it's been crazy. I have like over a thousand five-star reviews on iTunes, which is humbling, but like, they're all like, you know, case just speaks from his experience. And that's the whole idea. Like when I first created pursuit and I was like creating decks on like the marketability and what our mission was, I called it experience driven content with the whole idea is that every single piece of content, it goes story, then takeaway. Not just like a lot of sites do, which is takeaways. You know, you have to give people a reason to believe you. You have to give them some level of credibility. Not that you're successful, but just that you've lived through something that gave you perspective. And like, that's my whole idea with everything. I'd say sharing your cynicism. Like, I'm pretty cynical in general, but that's the thing we need to be. We're in an era of the internet where anyone could be anything, which is great and fantastic. But at the same time, when you're looking for advice, you need to have your ears perked up a little bit so you can find the right advice that's actually applicable to you and that's real and not just meant for clickbait and, and click. So like that was that was my whole idea. And I think just that little tweak of vulnerability, a little bit of emotion, it's gone a long way, honestly. That's great. Well, I want to talk to you more about cynicism and how listeners can be more careful as to who they take advice for. But first, I need to get your story you know, where you've really been in depth so that our listeners here can understand. I mean, I guess to kind of start off when you graduated from school, well, I guess I don't know if you you graduated, but when you, when you stopped going to school and you decided to 
go out on your own. What was that like? I mean, I know how challenging that was for me yeah. personally. So actually, there, there's more to the story. I did graduate, very <laughs> honored to, to graduate. I went to the University of Notre Dame, moved to Chicago right after, started working at these ad agencies. So I'm 30 right now. I have my media company, Trep Media. I've got my podcast. I've got Pursuit. These are, you know, humbly so, these are six-figure businesses that I run. It's fantastic. But I also work a nine-to-five currently. I'm still working a nine-to-five. I work at a startup. I've been at the startup for almost six years. I was one of the first dozen employees. It's now a billion-dollar company. Like, it's doing really well. So I'm still at this company. I lead a sales team in the Midwest for this company. So I'm actually pretty interesting in that I, you know, I'm technically a side hustler, but I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I think my results speak for itself and that I could technically leave this company whenever I wanted and make a living just fine. But I'm a pretty realistic dude, uh, pretty pragmatic guy, and that I see so much value from what I'm doing at this company currently and how that helps me evolve personally and as an entrepreneur and then vice versa, that I'm, I'm pretty adamant about maintaining my employment there for uh, probably another two years or so. The company is probably going to do some kind of exit or IPO in the near future, and I'm going to stay there until that happens. But I've always been pretty adamant and when I give advice to people and there's the people that are like, oh, drop out of school, start your business or quit that nine to five, do your business. And I'm like, that's great. If you could do that, that's fantastic. But I've always been a pretty realistic person and I like nice things. I have a certain you know, status of living that I want to maintain and I get a lot of fulfillment out of doing pursuit and new mindset who dis on the side. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I think if you're working a nine to five and you want to leave to go do your own thing and a big source of motivation for that is that your nine to five is this soul sucking thing that you've got to get out of. I say do it. But for me, I've found this equation where I get fulfillment out of work. It allows me to pay the bills, live in a very nice apartment in Chicago. And then I have this creative element of me, an entrepreneurial element where I'm very fulfilled. So I, I have a very you know, happy equation that I'm balancing right now that I think is somewhat unique to me. I think people sometimes are pretty binary in that you have one or the other. When you're working nine to five, you can't have both. But I think I've been very fortunate, humbly so, to be able to find this equation right now. Cool. Well, as someone who personally probably couldn't go out and work for someone else very well, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I talk a lot of shit about people going and, and quitting their jobs. And I encourage that not to a point where people do the wrong thing for them, but I'm a big proponent of people doing something that they're passionate about and something that fits the lifestyle that they want to live. And you've obviously found that through working for a startup and doing your thing on the side. But let's kind of unwrap it for people who are trying to figure out, all right, well, if I do want to have a job that is fulfilling both financially and otherwise, how can they find that? So first thing I want to point out to people is what you just said. You're going to stay at the startup until they exit. And so I assume that you have equity in the company because you were one of the first dozen employees there. So talk to us a little bit about that, how you got equity, how were you were just this young kid? And they were like, here's a part of the company. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's a very fortunate scenario and I recognize that. But yeah, I mean, the journey was pretty simple. I graduated. I worked at a couple of advertising agencies in Chicago for like three years, close to three years. And I was, you know, doing strategic planning and media investment and things like that. And it was, it was good. Like I, I, I love marketing. I would be doing marketing regardless. But then I, you know, 
I'm a pretty real dude. Like I am motivated by money to an extent. Like I think I've got a good amount of self-awareness on me that it doesn't control my life, but I like nice things. I like vacations. I like traveling nice. I like to take Uber select and not Uber pool, right? Like, like that's the idea for me. And I was working these agency jobs and I would look on the flip side of that industry and there was people like myself, young 23 year old doing this job. And then on the other side, there was another 23 year old working for a, a technology company that sold us products. And here I was making 30 grand a year. And here this person was making 130 grand a year doing the same thing, but on the sales side. And I was like, wow, well, that's pretty interesting. They're doing the same thing, but they're being, their ROI is so much higher. So I saw that and I was like, I want to go to work on that side, the advertising technology side. You know, these are companies, SaaS companies, you know, advertising software companies. So eventually I, I found an avenue into this certain company and I was, you know, offered a account executive role there very early on at this company. And kind of that was in 2014, I guess, 2013, 2014. And, you know, fast forward, we've been acquired twice. We're now owned by a huge company. I have options in the company. And, you know, it's different because, again, it's a startup, but I'm pretty senior at the startup. So it's basically I'm not technically working for someone else. People are either working for me or it's just a very fluid company where everyone's in the category of building things. So I get a lot of, you know, fulfillment there. But the biggest reason why I decided to take this role was I never had any desire to be in sales before. I was was always pretty quiet, pretty timid, not that confident in myself. And I saw these people and just the way that they exuded charisma and the way they carried themselves and the way that they were then able to, you know, market themselves and make money. Like it just made sense to me. So I honestly, I took it as a challenge. I didn't think I'd be very good at sales. My first year, I really struggled and now I run the sales team. So it's done a lot for me on a personal level. I talk a lot about this in my podcast. I think sales, I think everyone should do two things in their life. I think they should work in sales at some point, And I think they should wait tables at some point, like those two skill sets, I think just do amazing things for you. And I've done both and I've seen the tangible effects. And then working in sales, I was, you know, I was like, wow, man, I, sh- I should, you know, if I could sell this, I could sell my own product. I could sell pursuit to brands and advertisers. And I used that skill set to then close my own business and vice versa. So to my point earlier, you know, the skills that I developed and developed during my nine to five are the same ones that helped me drive pursuit and sell brands, sponsorships for new mindset, who dis like it's all fluid for me. So that's when I keep saying that this equation is perfect. It really is fulfillment, skill set, money, like it's all fluid. And it's really been great for me personally. Okay, great. So Chase, I want to really break it down for people here so that they understand how the world of startups and acquisitions and what an account manager really means and what, you know, being a sales guy means because there's a lot of things I think that we can help dispel here. So first of all, you got an account executive job. So if somebody's out there like, oh yeah, maybe I should be in sales. So they can just go online or whatever job site they're looking on and look for these account executive positions. And so you got one with a small company. And what did you start to sell? Yeah. So we were selling advertising technology solutions. So this company that I worked for was called Adconian Direct. And basically, they had developed a proprietary software for delivering ads to audiences online, similar to on a Facebook, but on a website, right? Banner ads basically advertiser targeting solutions, data infrastructure, things like that. Pretty boring stuff unless you're in the space. So basically they had developed that. So then my job was to sell that as a service to agencies and brands. 
people who had, you know, like Procter and Gamble, for example, spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year in that space. So then I would go to them or I would go to the agency that represented them and say, Hey, here's the technology we have. Here's why it's better. You know, cut me a check for a hundred thousand dollars. We'll run this campaign for you. We'll deliver results for you. And then let's build a partnership from there. So that's like the most basic way to think of it. Cool. Okay. So this company says we're going to pay you a base salary, most likely. Uh, You're in downtown Chicago, so people can use their imaginations. And then a commission on top of that for deals that you close. Yeah, exactly. So small base, big upside on the commission. That's where you make your money. Okay. And then did they give you the leads or did you have to go and knock down doors? I had to go knock down doors. So basically, when I first started, I was lived in Chicago, but I wasn't. <laughs> Chicago is like a tier one territory. So I was in Ohio, I was in Kansas City, I was in Missouri, I was in St. Louis, technically tier two, tier three. So I was out there on the grind, flying in, renting a car, driving around, doing the junior level stuff. But that's what taught me everything, honestly. And then obviously from there, I worked my way up. Okay, cool. And how many people were working at the company at the time when you joined? So holistically, probably like a hundred, but in Chicago, there was only like 10 of us. Okay. So then did they offer you equity in the company right off the bat? Or is that something that you had to earn? I had to earn it. Yeah. It wasn't part of the initial package just because sales is like the lifespan. If you're in sales and you don't do well, is like six months and you're out. So they're not going to offer that up front until they know that you're a valuable. And I, I had no sales experience. So if I came in as a senior person, they would have obviously offered that, I think. But I, you know, I was 25, 26, something like that. And, you know, I had to prove myself. So it came from there. Okay. So if you're a full-time employee of this company or you were at the time and your contract probably just goes in perpetuity, they it's it's all at-will employment in the United States, so they can just get rid of you whenever you yep. want. But then you have to go back and negotiate with your employer to say, hey, look, I'm starting to perform. I'm getting my bonuses, possibly if they were incentivizing you in that way. You probably went to them and said, all right, if I want to commit here, I want a piece of the equity. Is that what you did? Uh, more or less, yeah. I think the great thing about sales is it's pretty black and white. You know, there's all this BS and red tape associated with jobs that aren't commission based because it's like it's too subjective. It's like, yeah, you know, Case does good work, but you know, maybe we'll give it a Rob because Rob's been here longer. Like, it's frustrating, and I've lived that life. But sales, it's like, here's your goal. Did you hit it? Did you do better? Like it speaks for itself. So I developed a skill set for sales and I would have a goal and I would be 200, 300% to that goal. And it's like, promote me or I'm going to go somewhere else and, and find a better offer. And I just got, I would be promoted because it speaks for yourself. I mean, that's the great thing about sales is it's very, very entrepreneurial. There's less subjectivity to it because you go out, you sell what you need to sell, you out hit your goal. And then, you know, you're going to get promoted, you're going to get an increase in your salary, increase to your commission. You're going to get likely options if you're at a, a small company like that. It like speaks for itself. So that's why I just think sales is such a, it forces you to rise to the top. And if I hadn't, I would have been fired and I would have been okay with that. I would have been like, oh no, because it was like, well, my results don't speak for itself. So clearly you're not going to retain me. I'm not doing well. Like it's, it, it really forces you to be really transparent in everything you do. And it just, you, you have to be on top of your your game. Otherwise, you know, there's no bad feelings and you're not doing well. <laughs> but oh. fortunately for me, I did well. And then it kind of just escalated from there. Okay, awesome. And I know we're we're deep into the weeds on this, but I want the audience to really understand what you had to go through to prove yourself and how if they're looking for an opportunity like this, 
there's a lot of stuff to sort through, especially if you're just on who knows monster.com, if uh, I'm sure that still exists. Yeah. So, okay. So you're working at a startup. This is a venture backed startup. That's, I don't know, less than five years old, probably yeah. Yeah. had God, now I'm guessing, but 20 to $30 million in funding, something like that. Yep. Around there. Okay. So at that point, so people understand the venture capitalists and the founders will, you know, they're dividing the equity amongst themselves and then they take a portion and they put that into employee equity. And so say it's 10, 15% of the company, maybe 20%. I'm not exactly sure, but that's how they incentivize good people to stay on board. Is this the case in your startup? It is. Yeah. So the company that I joined, great company, we were acquired about three years back. And that's when I started to get my options in the company. So not necessarily equity in the, in the form of like revenue distributions in like a typical equity format. It was, it was options. So really, I technically don't get that much value from these until something happens with the company, either an IPO or some kind of exit. But if you're familiar with the space, that's what companies like the one I work for do. You build up your revenue to a certain point, you acquire other companies, and then you have a, some kind of event. And ours, why there be an exit or it will be an IPO. And that's when I'm going to get an extreme amount of value from those options. Okay, so you're at your company and you're seeing you went through this first liquidity event, but you didn't have equity, but you saw people around you getting rich pretty right. quickly, right? So they had yeah. options in the original startup. And then you're like, damn, all right, what do I do? And a lot of people jump ship at that point in the company. And can you explain to people how vesting works, how you have to stay there for a few years? You can't just work a few days and get your equity and then peace out. Yeah. So it obviously it depends on company. Like certain companies will have, you know, a 36 month vest on your options or an 18 month vest. It really depends. Like I think most 36 is pretty standard. So, you know, you'll receive your options and then it's like 36 months from there. Do they actually truly vest is where you can, you can sell them and do whatever you want with them. And that's when you get money. Right. So for me, I'm sitting on a bunch of options that are going to vest like a year from now or something like that. But the, the real opportunity, if we're talking about money, the real opportunity for me to make money is if we IPO, likely. Because then those, the, those are shares and I understand how companies like ours trade and it would be profitable if we can get to that point. But I mean, you know, the real reason that I, I stuck at this company certainly was for the upside relative to something like that. That definitely motivates you. It definitely keeps you going. You know, it's definitely an exciting feeling. But like more so than that, honestly, being in sales is really challenging, but it's really rewarding. Like I was so frustrated working at other companies where it's like the only real opportunity for you to shine and, and feel quantifiably successful. was like, yeah, maybe you had a presentation, had to put a deck together, something like that. Good job case, pat on the back, whatever. When you're in sales and you're closing a deal and you're bringing in revenue to your company and you're bringing in margin and, and GP, like it's very clear that you're doing well. And to me, it, I just like, Maybe I struggled with the subjective nature of business and promotions, but I, I wanted to control my own destiny. I didn't want someone to tell me that they thought that my skill set was there. I wanted it to speak for itself. So to me, that was the real reason why I stuck around and honestly why I'm still there. And now on the flip side, I just manage people. So now I'm getting that intrapersonal development and that's helped me on a whole nother level. And that's the real reason that, that I'm still there, honestly. But I just think sales is such a powerful thing. It, it forces you to, to step up. To my point earlier, like I was always pretty shy. And I think it's the ultimate way to challenge yourself. 
Like I'm just big about finding ways to challenge myself. It's the reason for my podcast, for example, that I don't do guests on my podcast. People are like, why wouldn't you do guests? And I say I do it for two reasons. One, I wanted to challenge myself to create my own content. I think a lot of times content creators, podcast hosts, they rely on the guests for the value. Question, 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 question. Okay, have a nice day. Whereas opposed to me, I wanted to really challenge myself to create that content. And then at the same time, I also wanted to challenge myself to distribute it. When you have guests, it's easy to build a podcast because they share it with their audience and that becomes your audience and then you know stagger step your way up. But I don't have guests, so I'm 100% relying on myself to grow the show. And I think that to me was just a really powerful thing. So not to stray from the question, but again, for me, like my whole mindset over the past 10 years has always been finding different ways to challenge myself, whether that's in a sales role, whether that's something more personal development focused is just finding these paths that I know would make me uncomfortable and then seeing if I could overcome them. No, that's really valuable, of course, to point out to people. And that's, that's incredibly impressive. I know how difficult it is. I mean, I've been podcasting for three and a half years, I've done a few solo episodes kind of as uh, almost lectures experimentally. And it's freaking hard. You have to prepare. You have to know what you're going to say. I can speak off the cuff, but it's very difficult. Uh, so yeah, yeah, props to you for <laughs> that. Sense. And so to, I guess, to wrap up on the sales side of things, and, yeah. and I appreciate you being really open and honest with everybody about how things like equity work and how when you do have equity and you're waiting for the IPO, and of course, we're just talking about money here and you have a lot more reasons to stay in your current position, but I have plenty of friends who have the golden handcuffs on and they're like, when is someone going to buy this company? <laughs> I'm at a sales guy in New York and I'm making a couple hundred grand, but this company is just, we've reached, we're almost too big now that we don't know if we're going to sell and... I have all this stock and I had to stay here, but they're just kind of waiting around to see what happens and they're not growing personally anymore. And, and so that's tough. So I want listeners to understand what someone like Chase has to go through in his mind when he's judging his next life moves because, yeah. you know, your side hustles are blowing up too. So that's, that's really important. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they call it rest invest. Like you got to see where, where the next steps are. But yeah, I mean, I think like if that's the case and honestly, to be completely candid, that's kind of where I am now. Like we're a big company now. The direction is for some kind of exit or IPO, but it could take three years. I don't know. Like right? it could take a while. So to me, like I am financially fulfilled there, make great money in that role. There's huge upside with that kind of liquidation event. But more importantly, I'm fulfilled through my side hustle, which like not everyone is going to be a side hustler. I just think you need something on the side to give yourself fulfillment. It could just be a creative outlet. It could be whatever it may be. I've just seen so many of my friends and coworkers just get so down on themselves because they're not finding that in their job and they don't know what to do, but they refuse to do anything outside of their job. And like to me, like people always wonder like why I'm so positive. It's just because like it's just so easy for me. I go to this job. I like the people I work with. I can make great money and it's fulfilling to an extent. But then I know that I could turn my fulfillment switch on immediately. My podcast, pursuit, my blog, everything that I do, like it's just so easy for me to find that. And I just like really want to encourage people to make an effort to do that. Like I see so many people, some of my good friends included, just talk about it. 
talk about, oh, they would love to do something. Like even though it's be the case, that's so cool that you founded that company or that podcast. Like I've always wanted to start a podcast. And I'm like, well, do it. Like what's holding you back? And I'm like, oh, I'd have to do the logo and then the website. And like people talk themselves in circles and it's just a vicious thing. But it's easier than you think, I think, to find an element of fulfillment outside of your nine to five. Like I, I have a, a book deal pending and the concept there is how to find fulfillment outside of your nine to five. Cause I think that's so important. I think it's so easy to just get sucked into your nine to five where you don't give that any thought, but I think it's easier than ever with the internet and just being creative. So to me, like I'm fine with waiting and, and working my nine to five because I have created this equation where I have fulfillment readily available for me through something that I've started on the side that just started creatively. That's how it started. Cool. Well, I'd love to get into a little bit more on how the hell you manage your time because you got a lot going and sales takes a lot out of you mentally and emotionally. I think it's a bit of a roller coaster and working for any type of startup has to be. And then with your own startups on the side and doing all this stuff, yeah, how the hell do you manage it? And you look like you're in good shape on top of all that. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I think right now, candidly, I'm struggling with it a little bit and it's ebbed and flowed over the years. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we have 24 hours in a day. Like I hate to be that guy who's, oh, we all have 24 hours, but it literally is true. And if you're working nine to five or call it eight to seven, something like that, that would be longer. Like you still have a ton of time and like pursuit and the podcast, it doesn't take me that much time. Like it definitely adds up. But for me, The biggest thing is like I've evolved it to the point where it's just something that I do. It's not something that I see as a task I need to check off. It's, oh, it's Tuesday. I need to write this email. Oh, it's Tuesday. I need to write this blog or I need to create this podcast. It's something that I just do. It's become part of me. I've been doing it for so long and it's because I enjoyed it. But if I had started this side hustle, I was like, oh, I I want to do drop shipping from Alibaba because that's how you make money. Like that's not going to be a winning equation because there's no passion there. And I know that that sounds very, very linear and unrealistic, but I think that's why you have to start from a passion point, whether you like blogging or making statues out of cheese, like whatever, like you have to start from something that is relevant for you and that makes sense. And that's why it's been so easy for me to do this. But then, I mean, from a time management perspective, like I have a VA, I have partners, I have someone that I work with every single day and and we've managed to come up with a good formula for how we can, you know, divide and conquer certain things. But I mean, also like it's, you know, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I wasn't that kid with a lemonade stand or anything. I've evolved into that. Like today is Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I will work today. I work tomorrow, Saturday. I work Sunday. It's it's because I want to. It's that simple for me. But so I think if you're forcing yourself to do something like you're going to struggle, like you're going to struggle with time management because you don't want to do it. It doesn't come naturally to you. So I think honestly, it comes back to the point that you have to start something that you're just energetic about. And then from there, it'll just become part of your life to the extent where like I don't want people to, you know, their business is their life. But for me, it is to an extent because I get so much value from it, like with pursuit and my podcasts, like. It's really cool to be able to have a self-development company that helps me at the same time. Like I've grown so much as a, as a man, as a person, because of the content that I create, that it's this cycle of value and I make money from it. Like it doesn't get any better than that. And I, and I don't have the answer for everyone else for different areas of business, but if I could do it, there's got to be a way that you could do it where time management isn't an issue because you love doing it and you'll find a way to do it. If I don't get the email done 
at night, I'll wake up early and do it in the morning. And I'm just as happy doing that. That's awesome. I'd love to talk a little bit about content so people can pick up some actionable tips as well. I mean, it's pretty incredible. You're 65 episodes in or so, and you've been going only for like six months. So, and you have over a thousand customer ratings on iTunes. Your Instagram is really solid as well. And you, you managed to get out a daily email and, you know, you've built a big list. So yeah, talk to us about how you've done it. Yeah. I mean, uh, so the podcast I do twice a week, I do it on Mondays and Wednesdays. So the Monday episode I prepare on Sunday, which is easy for me. The Wednesday episode is, is a challenge sometimes because I'm busy on Monday and Tuesday. I just have to find a way to do it. You know, I've got it down to a science though. I know that for me, like it takes writing an outline. It takes sometimes writing the whole episode down. Sometimes I'll write the entire episode down. Usually it's like 4,000 words. And then I'll use that as like a really, really granular script. Sometimes that's what it takes. The email, I know, for example, takes me about two hours every day to do. So you're looking at 10 hours on Pursuit a week. You're looking at probably an hour email a day. That's another five. So that's 15 plus, you know, about two hours per episode. So we're looking at close to 20 hours a week working on that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, I run all the social products, another hour, you know, stuff like that. So like it adds up, but I've got the process down. Like I know exactly what to do. I've got all my content mapped out for the week. For the most part, I generally for the podcast, I like to keep it open and kind of just go off the cuff and create a concept because it's just it's supposed to be conversational and it, and it makes it easy. And then, you know, I spend the other half of the week working on advertiser deals, brand integrations, things like that. That takes time. There's calls. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a full business and I'm always respectful of the fact that I work a nine to five. They're the ones who pay me. So I really try not to do it on company time. So it's, de- it's definitely a balance. I definitely wasn't always this good at it, but I know what it takes to drive results at this point just because I've been doing it for so long. Like I understand the game. And four years ago when I first started, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So it's taken a while to get to this point. But yeah, at this point, yeah, I mean, it's 20 plus hours a week. But, you know, when you have partners and when you have VAs and when you have someone else, like you can make it manageable. But not everyone can have that because they're not revenue generating. So I get it. So it just starts with like you have to understand how long it takes. And then from there, you work backwards to try to make it take less time. (laughs) The easiest way to think about it. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. Talk to us a little bit about your workflow who actually puts the podcast together for you, does the editing, who is actually posting to your Instagram? Uh, Is this all you? I know you say you have a VA. How much of this are you able to outsource to be able to free your time on the more money-making activities? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I mean, for the podcast, I do everything. I really, again, the whole idea of the podcast is authentic vulnerability. And for me to not be doing it, I think would be kind of BS. So I do it all. Uh, I record it, edit it myself, post it myself. Obviously, I run my own Instagram. I have an agent who brings me deals for brand deals. So that, that she handles that. So I don't have to do that for the podcast. For Pursuit, though, I, I do all the editing of the content. I have someone local in Chicago here who writes a lot of the content. And then I function as the editor. And then I'll use our email platform to create the content, draft it, schedule it, everything like that. And then I handle all the business development as well. So bringing in brand deals, working with advertisers, things like that. And then I have VAs for occasional things that I need to do, like sourcing content, organizing, things like that. But it's really lean. Like, And I've learned a lot. I know when I first launched, I was like, oh, I need a team of this and this. And I had like six of my homies all with titles like working for me. 
And it was just stupid. I bought into this idea that you need a head of sales, a head of creative direct, you know, head of editor in chief, like all this stuff. When in reality, I need one person in a VA and that's all it takes. And you can scale a company or a small six figure company, but I could scale it to seven figures with the team I have in place. I could scale it quicker with a larger team, but like I'm big on thinking in the future and knowing about I'm going to sell the company. If I want to make some money from the company, you got to keep it lean. You don't want to dilute yourself. So right now that's the way it works and you know, I'll see where it goes, but I'm kind of a control freak, I suppose. I like being able to get my hands dirty and everything, but the podcast, that is my creative baby. Like I would never outsource that to anyone else. Like I want to do it myself. I want to get my hands dirty. Like I love the process. It's really cool to me. So I'll always maintain that. Cool. And my listeners know I'm definitely not the one editing the podcast. I'm certainly going to record it, but then I'm definitely going to send it to somebody who's a lot better at (laughs) being able to clip it up and put an intro and outro on it, uploading it to the host and all that, you know, putting together show notes, all of that, because yeah, this is a, a side project for me also. So yeah, that's cool. All right. So there's content creators out there thinking like, Man, I don't have an agent. I'm not as cool as Chase here. How'd you end up with that? So that was random. Honestly, she read Pursuit and then realized that I was starting a podcast. And again, humbly so, she was like, your podcast is going to be huge. Like, I would love to sign you. And it took some negotiating from there to understand what the value would be. But for me, knowing that, you know, there's a ton of upside for podcasting. Podcasting is going to be huge once some of the platforms get their act together, I was like, I, I want to take it seriously. So signed with her. Yeah. And then she, I mean, she's, she's super, she takes a lot of the work off my plate. Like podcast sponsorships are tricky. There's an art and science to it. It's an always evolving space. So to have someone with that expertise to handle it, handle all the, the tracking and fulfillment and things like that, it just, it makes it easy. So I was happy to do that so I could focus on great content and that's it. That's awesome. And you made a really good point about when you first started, you're like, oh, I need this director of sales. I need this person. I need that person on my team. And I do not want people who are listening to this think like, oh man, I need an agent. That's what's going to take my podcast to the next level. Once you start getting the downloads, once you start getting the reviews, then people will come along and, and offer you stuff. People will say, hey, we know that you have content with eyeballs or ears on it, we want to get our advertisers in front of that. And yeah, so I don't want people to jump the gun. You really don't. I mean, in the space for a while, and again, I'm humbled by that opportunity, but like, yeah, people will certainly come to you once you get to a certain size, but you could also go to them by yourself. You don't need an agent. Like the way that I've closed deals for pursuit has been so easy. And it's been so easy because other, my competitors technically have made it easy for me. Like if you look at the daily email space, the skim, the hustle, morning brew, folks like that, that do daily emails. I was closing deals left and right when I first started, because all I would do is I would look at their emails, see what brand sponsored them. And I'm like, okay, I know that this brand likes email marketing. looks like the hustle performs well for them. I'm going to go to that brand and say, Hey, my name's case around pursuit. 120,000 plus daily subscribers. We're very similar in format and ROI to the hustle. Would you like to test? Like, sure, here's 10 grand. Let's test. Like they made the job easy for me because they had proven success for those brands that it was just a layup. I just had to prove my numbers, prove a little bit of value up front and then test and perform. So like it's, you really don't have to recreate the wheel. And I see a lot of people being like, ah, a brand would never sponsor me. 
I'd say they would. You just have to see who they've sponsored before and see if it's aligned. And then you go after them yourself and be persistent. And then it comes down to sales mentality. But like you do not need an agent by any means. The only reason I have one is one, I wasn't that familiar with the podcasting space, to be honest. So I needed some education there. And two, knowing my workload with pursuit, I needed someone to help me from a time management perspective. Perfect. And, and I really appreciate the transparency here. I know I'm asking a lot of, of in-depth questions, uh, but this is so helpful to people out there who are trying to get their content to the next level. I know you mentioned that you have a, a book deal that's on the way, hopefully, for you. And also, I want to remind people, all right, well, somebody like Chase could have easily self-published. So walk me uh-huh. through the deal and the decision there. Yeah. So the deal is pending. So I won't say more than that, but I mean, yeah, to your point, I could self-publish all I want. And I think that's great. And I think, you know, people self-publish for a variety of reasons. One, because they want to write and they want to publish. But two, I think I see a lot of people self-publish so that they can then market the fact that they're, uh, you know, a a best-selling author. And I think it's a little sketchy. You know, you could be a best-selling author on Amazon very easily. Like, the methodology for doing that is a little shady. And I didn't want to be that guy. Like you see all these people, again, no disrespect to these people. I've been there before. You see people that are like, oh, I'm a Forbes featured entrepreneur. Fantastic, dude. So have I. I've had many features in Entrepreneur Inc. and, and all that stuff. But you will never see me doing that because I don't see that that's that much value there. Like the press system is it's a little bit sketchy. You could use it for social proof when it's really not that authentic. And so I like I one. I wanted from a book perspective, from a PR perspective, like I wanted to create something with a publishing house that really meant something that they saw value in what I had to say and that they would then put their distribution behind it to make it a success. Like I'm not looking to publish just so I could say Case Kenny, bestselling author. I'm looking to publish so that millions of people actually read it. And the best way to do that is through a publishing house that has the resources to do it. So like I'm very serious about what I have to write, not just being an author. And that sounds a little cynical and I fully respect people who go the self-publishing route. I think that's fantastic, especially if you're a young writer, maybe you don't have your own blog or distribution, but I think if you're very serious about what you're doing, like doing something like that, at least to me, it cements my commitment to creating something of value and not just saying that I'm an author and not just saying that, Hey, I've been in Forbes. Like I want it to speak for itself. So to me, that's the reason I've gone down that path, but it's definitely evolving. Like I had this pending deal and I had the concept and I was working hard on a bunch of other things. And then I realized that ah, maybe that's not the right concept. You know, I kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit here and actually create something that makes a little bit more sense. So to me, just because I'm working on so many things, I have that ability. But yeah, that's the route that I've gone down. But like for me, it just comes back to the fact that I want to create something that is going to speak for itself and not just be marketable. I just see a lot of entrepreneurs, they want that headline They want that recognition from some source or a top list on Amazon. Like, that's great, but I'm past needing that. I'm to the point where I legitimately, authentically, vulnerably want to create something that's badass and not just getting a headline that says, Case Kenny is an entrepreneur. Like, I get it. That sells. Like, it's social proof. But I'm at the point where I've been fortunate to have that. I actually want to create something really, really freaking cool. So that's that's my mindset. (laughs) Okay, so obviously credibility going with the publishing house is great. And yeah, I have to point out to people that if you end up getting this deal, they're going to give you an advance. So you'll have the motivation to actually finish 
the book, which is a very difficult part about (laughs) self-publishing. You'll have the opportunity to make the New York Times bestseller, which is only available to people who are with publishing houses. So if you go the self-publishing route, you can't make that list, but you can become an Amazon bestseller in whatever category you choose. Can you break down a little bit more about the getting the credibility in these media outlets because you know you mentioned ink and fortune or wherever you can yep. get mentioned and, and talk to people a little about the game and i'm going to point out to people case that you've got your instagram up here entrepreneur magazine how one man grew his social media brand to reach millions so 100 percent, 100%, 100%. you so gotta am, do it I, I get it yeah so i say a lot i do a lot i'm hypocritical in some things i say but I think the biggest thing for people to realize when it comes to the publishing game, when it comes to PR and press and things like that is I think a lot of times when like my whole thing, the reason that like when I created my podcast and my writing, it's like people are like, oh, you're kind of like Gary Vee. And I'm like, you know, no disrespect to Gary because I work with him. It's like I'm kind of the anti Gary Vee. Like I'm kind of like when I see people that call themselves experts, that call themselves gurus, that call themselves a, a four featured entrepreneur, like in their bio. And that's the reason to believe them. Like I have a little bit of issue with that just because press and PR, it's kind of a broken system nowadays. Like there's a lot of pay to play. You could pay five grand for a feature in Forbes where basically someone on the back end finds one of the contributors and pays them and they'll mention your name. Right. Or, you know, any which way it's, it's kind of a, a broken system. And to me, that loses a lot of credibility for those publications. To your point, like I, I do on my Instagram in a post, I have an article from like two years ago where I think the article was it named the case. Kenny grew his, his followers to a million. To me, that like I legitimately enjoyed posting that one because that one I didn't pay for it. I didn't reach out. That one was done on me. But that's not who I am. Like, I don't use that to say why you should work with Case Kenny. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur.com featured person. Like, that's not the reason at all. To me, it goes back down. That's why, like, I'm so transparent here. If you ask me, I will give you my stats. I wouldn't release full revenue, but I will give you exact stats and screenshots and everything like that. And I think that's something that's missing in the entrepreneur and the online guru space is you have all these people. And again, I've been here. Like, I've created courses and sold courses, but, you know, people make money by telling you how to make money by selling courses online. Like it's, it's a little bit of a, a system that needs some transparency. Whereas for me, like, again, back to the whole sales thing, like you have to ha- let something speak for itself. So for me, for my podcast, that's my experiences for pursuit. That's our numbers. That's our ROI that we provide for advertisers. Like it's all there. It's all very transparent. But I think it just in general, to answer the question, like I think Back to maybe the initial question, you talk about cynicism and just being alert when you're looking at what people say online. It's the same thing. Like if you're a force feature entrepreneur, I applaud you. I think that's freaking awesome. Kudos to you. But if you're a person looking for advice, if you're a person looking to learn from someone online and you see that, recognize it, say that that's cool, but then really dive into what they have to actually say. Like that doesn't speak for itself. What speaks for itself is what they say is their actual experience, what they've done. That's why, again, for me, everything goes back to experience. You could have all the accolades and awards in the world, but if you don't have something to speak from that's experience-driven, then I think you should move on and find someone who is transparent enough to actually reflect on it. That's why my favorite bloggers, my favorite vloggers, YouTubers, those are people who actually open up the curtain and do that rather than just lean on some kind of headline or something like that. 
That's great. And you absolutely have to when you receive an award. I mean, you don't absolutely have to, but when you receive some type of award and make some list, yeah, it's credibility. At first glance, people are going to see you, right? iTunes top 50, that's fucking huge. Like that's, that's amazing. But I like what you said about diving into the content and it's, there's just so much smoke and mirrors out there. And I've, I've really been in this interview really wanting to dive into this millennial cynicism and say, all right, how does someone like Chase really bring the, uh, yeah, you bring credibility, but it's about the content. It's about what you're putting out there online. That's real. Yeah. And I will say just to drive that home, like, you know, you might be like, wow, case that's right on. But then you like, you have this, you hypocrite because you have this written there. Like in this day and age where there's so many people creating content, like I don't really have a problem with clickbait. Like if you want to throw a clickbait headline somewhere, do it. But then when you actually get to the content and the content's good and dope and cool, that's where you win. Like you have to get attention somehow in this day and age. It's there's so many podcasts, there's so many blogs, there's so many YouTubers, like you have to get people to see your content. And if that's, using a piece of social proof to get them in the door. If that's having a clickbait headline, unfortunately, that's the reality. That's the context that we live in. You have to do that to get someone's eyeballs. I don't really have a problem with that. I really don't. But then if your content doesn't back it up, that's where I think it's lame. But if your content backs it up, go all day. Use that feature in Entrepreneur all day. Use that clickbait headline all day. Like You have to win somehow. You have to be competitive. You have to use your advantage. So I don't have a problem with that. I just be transparent. That's all like use the headline. But then when you get into your content, really go in. So like when I post something like that on Instagram, how I figured it was like how this guy, how Case Kenny grew his, his social following to reach millions. I'm looking at it right now. Cool. Someone scrolling that might see that. That's cool. Okay. Then they're going to go to my profile. Then they're going to listen to my podcast and see that I'm a seemingly legit dude. And I have valuable things to say. And I run my own company that's grown and like, okay, he's the real deal. He's not trying to sell you a course. He's not trying to get you to join his mastermind program. There's value there, but you know, things like that, right? It's like, he's actually creating things. But the reason I saw him is it grabbed my attention. You know, people need to be told what to do sometimes and you need to use those things to your advantage. Sure. And I think a big part of the value in the podcast that we're recording right now is for people to, again, be able to understand what's behind all of this bullshit that you see out there <laughs> online and understand what it really is. When we made the Inc. 5000 list, right? And that's in my profile. We're very proud of that. But we got invited to, Inc. Magazine invited us to a $900 black tie dinner, right? <laughs> and we were like, all right, for a photo op, do we want to pay $900? No, I don't think we're going to go to that. We even got invited to do a $15,000 feature on us in Inc. Magazine. And we're like, this is just getting ridiculous. The amount of emails that we got about plaques, you know, when you you print out the magazine and you put it on your wall was just absurd. So it's about paying attention to the right things. Yeah, you got to use it. But yeah, it's insane. So I'm happy to share how that works with Uh, people. Yeah. Damn, I didn't realize that. Right on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge moneymaker for, I mean, it was probably $150 just to get on the list. And when we submitted our revenue numbers, right. And it had to be, it's everything is legit according to your CPA and all of that, but you got to pay $150 just to apply. So they're making a lot of money off of that thing and use what you can. But we know at the end of the day, our trips are amazing. That's our content. That's what we put out. We do it with our heart. So talk to me, Chase, about 
what you put out with your heart every day on this podcast, on this newsletter. While we wrap up, we can, of course, tell people where they can find it. But bring me deep into the soul of, <laughs> of what you're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple for me. The whole tagline is, is perspective that inspires. It's this whole idea, and I think I'm sure you'd agree, is that perspective and experiences are everything in the world. For me, I just think there's so much power behind perspective. That could be secondhand perspective from someone like myself saying something on the podcast, you're listening and you're like, wow, holy shit, like that's something, that is a catalyst. Or it could be actual going out in a firsthand experience. I've just found that in my life, perspectives and experiences are everything. You can sit back and read all the blogs you want, read all the self-help books you want, watch all the YouTube videos on traveling that you want, but until you actually get out there and live it, it's just theoretical for you. So like everything that I talk about is perspective, but the perspective is to encourage you to go out and experience the things that I'm talking about. And for me, I've done a lot of traveling. I've done a lot of things where I push myself to really be uncomfortable. And it's those experiences that have done everything to help me develop as a person, as an entrepreneur, everything across the board. So like, that's literally everything I talk about in the podcast. It's broad spectrum. We talk about a lot of different things, but it's this idea that you have to do it yourself. You have to challenge yourself. You got to get out of your head. You got to stop overthinking things and just get uncomfortable. And that's the bottom line. And same with pursuit. Pursuit's all about different perspectives that'll inspire you to do something. It could be travel. It could be to say something, to speak up, to act a certain way, to dress a certain way, whatever it may be. But it's all taking it from consumption to actual output and you actually doing that thing, saying that thing, being that person, whatever it may be, just actually taking action. That's awesome. And again, Chase, thanks for coming on, being transparent, being vulnerable, helping us sort through this. When you invite someone into your community, you don't want them to bullshit you. You don't want them to try to smooth talk your listeners. And certainly I didn't think that's what you were trying to do, but I I appreciate you going deep into the tactics and the strategies and what actually works and helping create a more, not a more cynical generation because we probably don't need more cynicism, but a more informed generation, that's for sure. So where can people reach out to you and uh, become part of your community? Uh, yeah, the, check out the podcast. It's on every platform, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. It's called New Mindset Who Dis. You can also check me out on Instagram. That's generally how I communicate with people. It's case.kenny, at case.kenny. I always respond to DMs and there, or you can also check out pursuit, P-R-S-U-I-T.com if you want the newsletter. But it's all me. You can DM me, Instagram. I love chatting. I love responding. It's kind of my happy place. I love doing it. Appreciate it, man. This was fun. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you for having me, Matt.